Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Want to give you a little disclaimer. I am sick as a dog today. <coughs> I'm probably going to be coughing, and, and so I apologize for that. And uh, some of you, I can hear you, you're out there coughing too. And uh, I, I, to make it worse, I was feeling bad yesterday, but I'm the, I'm the coach for my son's school's eighth grade six-man football team. And yesterday we were playing the Summit Christian Academy, and we were down by about 10 points at halftime. And so I, I kind of channeled my inner coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights, and, and I promised myself I wasn't going to scream during the course of the game because I knew I had to preach today. But at halftime, I'm, I'm screaming. I think, we're not going to lose this football game. And uh, we, we fought our way back and got within two points. And the last play of the game with 11 seconds left, my, my fullback ran 40 yards. We won the game on the last play. Yeah, and we were going nuts. And uh, for you football fans out there, that's something you can rejoice about this morning. Amen. And, uh, but we, uh, my, my guys won. But anyway, I'm screaming, lost my voice. It's ridiculous. I feel bad. So y'all hang with me. I'm going to try to make it through the morning today. I want to invite you to uh, open up your Bibles today to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And uh, we're beginning a series today that, that we've been praying about really for a long time. And um, what I prayed during the prayer just a second ago is not just something that I'm praying as a pastor. That's what you do before you preach. But I'm really asking, and the elders of the church have been asking that God would do something special in our body. And that he would move in our body in a really powerful way that we look back at it and realize that only he did that. And so uh, we're going to look through Ephesians 2.10 today, talk about the gospel, talk about community a little bit and get this thing kicked off. Um, Jesus took his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And when he took them there, he asked them a question. He said, he said men, who do people say that I am? And you've probably heard the story, and the disciples say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, Jesus. Some people say you're Elijah that's come back. <clears throat> and then Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? Looking at his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, and he said, Jesus, I believe that you're the Christ, and you're the son of the living God. And he says two things there. He says, one, I think you're the Messiah. All the, all, you're the guy that the Old Testament prophets have been prophesying about and talking about for generations he said, I think you're him. I believe you're him. And the second thing he said is, I, I don't think you're just the Messiah. I think you're God. I believe you're God. And then Jesus responded and said, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Right? Some guy didn't tell that to you, but your Father in heaven revealed that to you. And then, and don't turn there, but in Matthew 16, 18, we'll have it on the screen. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock... That's the rock of the confession that Jesus just made, not the person of Peter. <clears throat> he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, Jesus said, uh, boys, I came here to build something. I came to this earth to build something. And this thing that I came here to build is called the church. And it's going to be made up of a body of people that make the confession, Jesus said, that I'm the Christ and I'm the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, here is what this church, this body of people that say that I'm the Christ and the son of the living God, here is what this body of people, the church, are going to do. Jesus said that they are going to be a people that overcome hell. They're going to be a people that overcome hell. <clears throat> and church, here's what I want to do. I want to cut right to the chase today. I want to kind of get to the point. That if you're here today and you're a believer, if you're here today and, and, and that's your confession, and I know not everybody here is a believer, 
Not everybody here has that confession, and that's great. We're glad you're here. But I'm speaking today to those of us in the room who are believers, who do make that confession, that he is the Christ and he is the son of the living God. I want you to know that your Lord just said two things about you. He said two things about your identity. The first thing that he said is that you are the church. You are the church. You are the entity. You are the thing that he came here to this planet to build and to do. Right? That's the first thing. The second thing <coughs> that Jesus said about us, if that is our confession, one, we're the church, and two, you are a hell overcomer. You are a hell overcomer. And a lot of us in the room would, would say, yeah, that's our confession, but we don't think about ourselves that way as hell overcomers. But Jesus says that is who you are. I want to tell you a quick story, <coughs> excuse me, about a friend of mine. Uh, his name's Jesse Reeves. He and his family started the church with us. He is in Chris Tomlin's band. He plays bass for Chris, writes music with uh, Chris Tomlin. They left to go start Passion City Church in Atlanta with Louie and with Chris Tomlin. And, but Jesse and his family moved back to Austin, and, and I asked his permission to tell the story. But we ordained him in the ministry before he left and went to uh, Atlanta. And I'll never forget that ordination service. I preached at it, and a friend of ours named Neil McClendon preached at it. And Neil, if you know Neil, he's, he's, he's kind of just a prophet, man. He just says whatever God tells him to say, and, and he's kind of harsh. But then the more you think about what he said, you're like, man, that's, that's pretty awesome when you think about it. But he said something to Jesse in Jesse's ordination that stuck with both Jesse and I since then. He was looking at Jesse, and he said, Jesse, you're, you're a songwriter. <laughs> and you're, you're a bass player, and, and God's used you in amazing ways. But then he, he said something. He said, Jesse, if all you do with the rest of your life is write a few songs, he said, you've committed a huge spiritual fumble. He said, I believe that you might stand before the Lord one day and hear the words, too small, too small, that God wanted more for your life, that you had a greater priesthood that God wanted for you than just to write a few songs and then rest on your laurels the rest of your life. Now you hear that and you go, man, that sounds a little harsh, but when you think about what he's saying, Neil was not diminishing the work that Jesse had done for the Lord. <coughs> I mean, Jesse is one of the most, for lack of better words, successful songwriters of our generation. He wrote, How Great Is Our God, which is the number one song sung by the Christian church out of the last decade. And so God used him. But what I think Neil was saying to Jesse is that you are not just a songwriter. That your identity, your identity as a follower of Christ is that you are a hell overcomer. And that what God wants for you for the rest of your life is more. God wants that for you. And church, as we begin this series, Christian Believer, as we begin this series, what the elders and the leaders and the pastors of this church, what we want for you is what God wants for you. Now, notice I didn't say what God wants from you. I said what God wants for you. What God wants for you is more. What he wants for you is more. I think there are a lot of us in the room today, if we're just honest that we are believers, but we run the risk and are living in the danger of living out those words too small. God wants more. And here's the thing. Here's what I think more looks like for us. 
<laughs> and listen carefully to what I'm saying. This is what I think more looks like for you and for me. One is I think what uh, we want for you is what God wants for you. And that's not just to be a person that confesses that Jesus is the Christ and the son of the living God. But somebody whose identity is found that he's the Christ and he's the son of the living God. You, you get the difference? Not somebody who says it, but somebody who gets that that's their identity that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. The second thing we want for you, what I believe God wants for you is that we don't want you to just be, and God didn't want you to just be a church attender, but God wants you to be somebody that realizes they are the church. What we want for you is what God wants for you, which is to be a person that doesn't just believe in the doctrine of hell, but realizes and believes that you are a hell overcomer, that by your very nature, your calling in life is to kick down the gates of hell. It is who you are. And we want to see God make that transition in our church where, where God does that. He moves us from here to there and from there to here in the body of our church over the next few weeks. And I want to talk about with the rest of our time today a couple of things that I think has to happen in you and in me, <clears throat> for us to make that transition from a person who just confesses he's the Christ to somebody whose identity is found and he's, he's the Christ, from somebody who's just a church attender to somebody who realizes I am the church, uh, from somebody who believes in the doctrine of hell to somebody who believes and lives out the fact that Jesus said they are a hell overcomer. Here's the first thing, Ephesians 2.10. Let's look at it together. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Ephesians 2.10. This verse was probably the most significant verse in my life in helping me understand that God wanted to use my life for his glory. This is probably, the, this is it. The one where the light came on. I'll talk about it more and we're gonna just go through this verse. The light came on. Oh, I'm not just this dude that believes in God and I'm living my life, but God wa wants to use my life for his glory. Let's read it together. In verse, uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship and we were created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them <clears throat> alright now the first thing he says let's, we're going to leave this up and I want you to, we're going to know this verse we're going to memorize by the end of this the first thing that he says about us is this he says for we are his it's for we are his and right out of the blocks, we learn something about ourselves. The scripture tells us is that we are not our own. We are not our own. We, you, you are not just an independent person kind of out there doing your own thing, showing up at church, singing a couple of worship songs, and then going about your life. But the scripture tells us you belong to God. You belong to somebody. You are his we are his and then the scripture doesn't stop there that, that's pretty cool just right then and there we learn we belong to God that's neat but it keeps going it says for we are his everybody say that with me workmanship say it again we are his workmanship is that what it says workmanship now I don't even like that word in the Bible and I'm going to tell you why I think they mistranslated it um, it, it comes that word workmanship that gets translated there in the Greek it's the Greek word poema poema now, why in the world they translated the Greek word poema to workmanship, I don't know. Because what English word do you think we get from the Greek word poema? Somebody shout it out. Poem. That's right. That's where we get it. What the scripture literally just said is this. 
You are his poem. You are his poem. The Bible just said that you are God's work of art. And that's awesome. Now, a lot of you guys don't know this about me, but I'm a poet. And I know that's hard to understand with all my redneck tendencies, but I actually am a poet. <laughs> and I get the privilege, maybe you don't know this about it either, I get the privilege of writing music with Aaron. It's just something that's happened in our relationship. And, and it's been pretty awesome over the years getting to write with him. And I don't know a lot about poetry, but in the process of the last several years writing poetry with Aaron, there's a couple of things I have learned about it. Since we just discovered we're God's poem, here's a couple of things I know about it. Number one is poetry is... Is never just thrown together. Poetry is never just thrown together. It's, it's intricate. It's, it, it's time-consuming. It's unbelievably time-consuming. It's detailed. You know, Aaron and I will literally, we will spend hours and hours just pouring over uh, one phrase of one sentence that will go into a song that we sing here at this church. And what the Bible is telling you today is that you are his poetry. You're his poetry. You're his work of art. He didn't just throw you together. You're not just some afterthought. The, the psalmist even talks about this. This truth is kind of hitting the psalmist. And he's saying, God, you formed me in my mother's womb. And I am fearfully and wonderfully made Poetry is not just thrown together. It's fearfully, it's wonderfully made. The other thing I've learned about poetry, and this says something about God and how he views you and how he made you and created you. The second thing we learn about poetry, I know about poetry, it comes from the heart. It comes from who we are. It comes from deep down inside of us. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you, one of the lines that I've written uh, for our church here at the Austin Stone, Aaron had written a song called God Undefeatable. And, uh, and it's an amazing song. And he had written the line, the love of God is greater than we dare to hope or dream. It's a great line. The love of God is greater than we dare to hope or dream. And Aaron came to me and he said, Matt, <clears throat> I'd like to say that same thing, but just say it in a different way. What's another line? We can kind of say the same thing, but say it in a different way. He said, would you work on that? And he said that to me in a, in a time in my life where I was kind of just struggling with a lot of stuff. I had some sin issues in my life. And, 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 and I've shared this with you guys before, but one of, the, one of my biggest hangups in life, and I think it is a sin in my life, but for whatever reason, I've always struggled to believe that God loves me. I'm just aware of my sinfulness. And so I look at that and I just struggle. And I believe the gospel and I get the gospel and the gospel blows me away, but I've just always struggled to feel God's love for me. And I was just kind of at that place in my life where I was struggling to feel God's love for me. And, and Hall M had preached a sermon, and, and, and during the course of the sermon, Hall M was talking about how God's got a hold of us. He's got a hold of us. If we're in Christ, he's got his hand on us. He's got a hold of us. And, and as many times as we try to let go of God, God never lets go of us. And right there in the front row of this church, it just hit me. God just spoke that into my heart. Matt, you've tried to let go of me a thousand times. But I've never let go of you. I've never let go of you. And so I text Aaron this line. Aaron, what do you think about this? The hold of God is stronger than we dare to hope or dream. The hold of God is stronger than we dare to hope or dream. And Aaron texts back and goes, man, that is it. 
And we've sung it a lot in this church. We're going to sing it again today. But here's the thing. That place, that, 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 that poetry came from my heart. It came from inside of me. It came from, from the character and the heart of who I am. And that's what the scripture is saying about you, believer. You are the poetry of God. He didn't just throw you together. You're not an afterthought for him. And, it, and you came from his heart. That's what the scripture is saying about us. <laughs> that's amazing, but it keeps on going. He says, for we are his workmanship. For we are his poetry. And then watch what it says. We were created in Christ Jesus. We were created. This poetry was created in Christ Jesus. Basically what that means, y'all ever heard of a, a work of art that's been commissioned? Where somebody wants a, a work of art done and so they commission an artist to go and, and accomplish the work of art. That's essentially what's being said here. The scripture saying is that, is that we are God's poetry. We are his work of art, but Jesus came in and accomplished the work in us. The, uh, Paul talks about this, 2 Corinthians, don't turn there, just listen, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are God's work of art, and Jesus accomplished that in us. Church, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. And the verse, by the way, the verse could just end right there. Therefore, go back. Ephesians 2.10, there you go. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. And the verse could just end right there. That's the gospel. I'm his poem. I've been made new in Christ Jesus. Aaron, come back out, let's sing. Let's go to the house, right, amen? But he doesn't. He doesn't in there. He says, for we are his workmanship, and we were created in Christ Jesus for something. It says we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now let's, let that just rest on you. Let that rest on you today. God did not make you and create you just to make you. God did not save you from your sins just to save you and then let you loose and then you show up in heaven one day. God did not do all this work in you for nothing. What this verse is telling us is that you were created in Christ Jesus for a reason, for a purpose. He wrote your poem for a reason. He wrote your poem for a purpose. It's for good works, he says. There's something he wants you to do. Art always has a purpose. It always has a purpose. Whether it's to invoke emotion, whether it's to to convey beauty, I don't care what it is, art always has a purpose. And the reason he, he wrote your poem, the reason he created you in Christ Jesus is because there is something God wants to accomplish in and through your life for his glory and his kingdom. We are his poem. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And now it's gonna get crazy, awesome, amazing right here in the next last part of the verse. Y'all ready for this? It says, for we are his poetry. We are his work of art. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk 
in them that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in. That ought to blow your mind. That before you were born, before you were saved, before you heard the gospel, before you were born for crying out loud, God knew your name. He knew your name. He knew that he would call you to himself. And he, before you were born, before you were saved, before you heard the gospel, God was preparing these things that you would do, that he would do through you for his kingdom. He was working them out. He was preparing them. He was thinking them up. He was ordaining them. All the things you would do for his kingdom and his glory. That is unbelievable. And so here's my question for you today. Here's my question for you today. In light of this verse, in light of this verse, do you really think that it was God's great eternal plan for you, for you just to come to church a few Sundays a month and then go on about your life? Is that it? Was that, was that the plan? Do you, <clears throat> you think in light of everything God's done in you and through you and all this intricate, heartfelt effort that he's put into your existence and your future, that God's great plan that he's been preparing for you from before you were born was just to come into a building and sing some songs and listen to a sermon and then do a couple of devos throughout the week and then just go on with your life? Is, is that it? Is that, church, is that the poem he wrote for you? Was, was that the extent of God's artistic expression for you? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I, I mean, for crying out loud, this is the God who created the Rocky Mountains. He's an artist, amen? I don't think the God that created the Rocky Mountains, I don't think he wrote that poem in you. This is the God that, that, that covered the, the world in water. And, and, but there's some little spots of land. And when he told the water, he's like, hey, water, y'all are just really powerful, but you can only go this far. He's the God that did that. And, and, and I don't think he wrote that poem in you. This is the God that created the heavens. This is the, guy that, the God that created the stars. I don't think that's the poem that he wrote in you. I think the poem that God wrote in you looks a lot more like the words of Jesus when he said, upon this rock, I am going to build a people and I am going to call them to kick down the gates of hell with their lives. I think that's the poem. I think that sounds a lot more and looks more a lot like the poem that Jesus wrote in you. Now here's the thing, besides my salvation, Besides my salvation, this verse right here, it's one of the biggest aha moments of my whole life. It's, it's when I began to believe and pursue living in light of Ephesians 2.10. That's when everything changed for me. That's when everything changed. That's when the course of my life completely changed. It's when the, the pieces of the puzzle all fell into the place. It's really when I began to live and when I believed the truth that I am his workmanship, that I'm his poem. He didn't throw me together. I came from his heart that I was created in Christ Jesus. He has taken away my sin. I'm a new creation in him. And he did all that for a reason because he wanted to use me for his glory. And he didn't just do that just in a whim, but he's been preparing those works from the foundation of the world that I would walk in them. When I believed that, when I got that, everything changed. And you want to pray a bold prayer today, church? You want to pray a life-changing prayer of surrender? 
Say, God, I believe that you've been preparing these things from the foundation of the world for me. Help me to walk in them. Help me to walk in them. Help me to be a hell overcomer. We've been praying that for you. Ephesians 2.10. She'd walk in it. Here's the second thing, and we're, we're going to go through this, and we're going to be done. <clears throat> Here's the second thing that I believe has to happen in our church. For us to make that transition from being a group of people that just confesses it to a group of people that believes the identity that he's a Christ, son of the living God, that we don't just go to church, but we are the church, that we don't just believe in the doctrine of hell, but we're hell overcomers. You know what the second thing is? I'm convinced of this biblically and personally. You know what it is? Community. Community. I'm absolutely convinced of it biblically and personally. Um, I, don't, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you noticed this, but Paul didn't say, you are his poem. Paul said, we are his poem. I kept saying you, but Paul didn't say you. Paul says we. Paul says, we are his poem, created on Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for him, that we should walk in them. You know what that means, church? We were never meant to live out Ephesians 2.10 alone. We were never meant to live it out alone. For many of you in the room right now, you want to live out Ephesians 2.10. You hear that. You believe it. You're like, yes, I want that, God. But the problem is you're struggling to live it out. And one of the biggest reasons you're struggling to live that out and to make that transition is because you're trying to do it alone. You're living your Christianity. You're walking out your Christianity in isolation. In church, it is never meant to be that way. God created it from the very beginning for us to worship God and to walk with God and to be on mission for God together. It's just, it's just biblical as it can be, right? Let me show you what I'm talking about. Adam was created by God. <coughs> Adam was created by God. He had fellowship with God. He had fellowship with God. He walked with God. He talked with God. He hung out with God. I'm sure that was unbelievable. But then God didn't stop there. He came to Adam and he gave him a mission. He gave him something to do. He gave him a purpose, right? He said, Adam, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go name all the animals. I want you to subdue the earth. And then I want you to tend the garden. I want you to cultivate it and keep it. He gave him a mission. But then what did God do? He looked at Adam after he gave him the mission, after he gave him the work to do and the purpose. And then what did he say? You remember? He said, it's not good for man to be what? He didn't say it's good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone in what? In the mission God gave him. Go read your Bible. That's what it's all about. It's not about Adam being a lonely single guy. Go read it. God gave him a mission to do. He gave him work to do. And then the next thing he says, it's not good for man to be alone in that mission. So he made him a what? A helper suitable for him. In other words, what God did is God created for Adam missional community. He created for Adam a missional community. But what happened? Adam sinned, right? He sinned. And when, and when Adam and Eve sinned, they, they not only lost uh, their fellowship and their relationship with God, but they lost that God-centered, God-focused aspect of the community that God made for them. Did y'all catch that? Did y'all hear that? Were y'all awake? The, the two things happened. They lost the relationship they had with God, and they lost the missional aspect of their community that God created for them to walk in. And so church, listen to this right here. When you believe the gospel, 
When you believe the gospel, two things are meant to happen. One is when you believe the gospel, you are meant to be restored into your relationship with God. But the second thing that's meant to happen is you are meant to be restored back into God's purpose for you, which is a missional body of believers that not only worship God, but live on mission for God together. That's the two things the gospel does for us. If you say that you believe the gospel, but you don't walk in biblical missional community, there is something going wrong in your walk with Jesus. All right, I love the way Ray Ortland said it. He's a friend of mine. Listen to what he says. He says, wherever the gospel lands, beautiful community springs up. And if the beauty isn't appearing, the gospel has not landed. Church, the gospel is not just meant to restore you back in a relationship with God. The gospel was meant to restore you back into fellowship and community and mission with other believers. Now, why did God do it that way? Because that's a fact. It's just a fact. Why did God do it that way? Why could we not just be a bunch of individual people and he saves us and then just that's it? Why did God create this thing where he saves us and he restores us back in a community? That was the, that was the intention. I think there's a couple of reasons. One, I won't go into this one. I'll just say it, but that's what the Trinity is. You go back and read Genesis. We're going to create them in our image, and we're created in the image of the Trinity. The Trinity hangs out together. They love each other, and they live on mission together. So we just, we're just we created into that. But here's the second thing. Here, here is that why I think God created this thing where we were never meant to live out of Ephesians 2.10 alone. Satan. Satan. Satan wants to take you out. If you don't think he does, then he's already got you. You see, Satan knows the words of Jesus. Satan knows that Jesus is going to raise up a people called the church and they're going to kick his gates down. He knows it. He knows Ephesians 2.10. He's got it memorized. And one of Satan's main goals in your life He's accomplished it in some of you. One of uh, Satan's main goals in your life is to hinder you and to keep you from believing and living out Ephesians 2.10, from walking in the plans that God has prepared for you. <clears throat> and here's how he's going to do it. He's going to lie to you. Satan's going to lie to you. Some of us are going to believe the lie. Satan is a liar. Did y'all know that? That's what Jesus said he was. He is. He's a liar. He's going to lie to you, and he's going to tell you that you can, in fact, live out Ephesians 2.10 alone. That you can do it. It's a lie. He's going to lie to you and he's going to tell you that Ephesians 2.10 is not true for you. He's going to say, no, God doesn't really have anything planned for you. No, you're not. You're too messed up to be God's poem. God didn't really create you. You're not a new creation. You've sinned too much to be a new creation. He's going to lie to you and tell you that this verse doesn't apply to you. He's going to lie to you and he's going to tell you, and some of us have bought this, that there are more important things in our life than living out the works God has planned for us. That what's more important is that we live out the works we have planned for us. He's going to lie to you and some of you are going to buy that lie. He's going to lie to you and he's going to tell you that God doesn't care about you. He doesn't have anything planned for your life. And this is a big one. He's going to try, he's going to lie to you and try to discourage you to the point where you eject from the fight. And you give up and you don't have any desire whatsoever to live out the good works God has for you. He wants to take you out. You know what the Bible says is going to keep us from getting taken out? The Bible actually tells us this is going to keep you from getting taken out. You know what it is? You know what it says? It says community. 
Satan wants to pick you out, separate you from the body, and then destroy you. And, and the scripture says, here's the thing that's going to keep you from getting separated out and taken out. It's community. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, listen to what this says. This is a haunting verse. It says, take care, brethren. We're almost done, by the way. Hang with me. It says, take care, brethren, that there, take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. He's speaking to the church, and he says, take care, brethren. And we know that he's speaking to Christians here because he calls them brethren, brothers. Take care, brothers, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. And, 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 and here's the thing. He's giving them a warning. He's saying, be careful. Don't fall away. And he's not talking about losing your salvation here. What he's talking about is the tendency, and you know this if you're honest with yourself. He's talking about the tendency of our hearts towards unbelief. Prone, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're like that. He's talking about the tendency of our hearts to backslide. He's talking about the tendency of our hearts to pursue sin. He's talking about the tendency of our hearts to be hardened and calloused by the deceitfulness of sin. He's talking about the tendency of Satan to want to sidetrack us from walking in Ephesians 2.10. Now watch what he says guards you from that happening in your life. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. <clears throat> Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What did the scripture just say has to be in our lives for us not to slip into the deceitfulness of sin? Encouragement. Encouragement. It says we are to encourage one another. The word encourage there is the Greek word parakaleo. It doesn't mean go up and say something nice to somebody. It means to come along beside someone. That's what it means. Come along beside someone. How often does it say we are to come along beside each other? The scripture says day after day, as long as it's still called the day. You know what that means? We do it until Jesus comes back. We are to come alongside each other every single day of our lives. Church, there is one context. Listen, there is one context which you can have folks come along beside you in your walk with Jesus. There is one context that you can receive encouragement day after day in your walk with Jesus. There's one context that you can be guarded from Satan derailing you from the Ephesians 2.10 mission in your life. And the answer is in biblical, gospel-centered, missional community. That's it. That's it. It's biblical as it can be. And I'm going to tell you that that's a biblical part, but let me tell you how I've seen it come true in my own life. Guys, you know how many times I've wanted to quit in my life this? A bunch. You may think that's crazy. There's been so many times over my ministry over the last 20 years I've wanted to just eject. I've gotten so discouraged for whatever reason I've wanted to eject. 
I shared with you, because that's, that's going to happen. You walk out of Ephesians 2.10, Satan's going to come after you. He's gonna, he knows your name. He's going to come after you. He's going to come after your family. If you're just some dude that could care less about what God has planned for your life, you're doing your own thing, Satan doesn't care about you. He's going to leave you alone, but you raise your hand and go, I'm going to walk in the good works that he has prepared for me from the foundation of the world. He knows your name. He's going to come after you, and he's going to try to derail, derail you from that. And, and, man, it's happened to me so many times, and what's endured me is community. One specific time I shared with you a couple weeks ago when I preached, I had cancer. And not only just all that that was going through my life, that's enough. But I mean, I wasn't preaching much over about a two or three week span. And, and we were getting all these emails from folks. And they're like, Matt, how's Matt? You know, is he going to live? Is he going to die? What's the deal? Can you give us an update? And so we were trying to give updates. And Kevin Peck, who's, who's our lead pastor, he came to me and said, man, why don't you just, when you come back, why don't you just preach one Sunday just on what God is doing in your life to, to, Catch everybody up to speed on the cancer. Um, share that and then just share what God's showing you. We'll call it the family talk and just answer everybody's questions and, and we can just rejoice together and cry together. And, and I was kind of against it. I was like, man, let's just, you know, let's just preach John. We've been in John for four years. Let's just keep going. He goes, no, man, family talk. They need it. Let's do it. So I submitted to my elders and I did it. And I walked up and I preached and, and I took a verse, like I always took a verse, exposited it, but I just spent a ton of time sharing about what God was showing me through the cancer and what was going on with my cancer and all that stuff. And, and great Sunday and worship was great. And I'll never forget, I got done. I walked down right in here somewhere. I was talking to people and, and this college kid came up to me. I think he was in college, 21, 22, something like that. He came up to me. I thought he was going to encourage me or pray for me or something like that. And he looked at me and he said, hey, he said, nice sermon. I said, thanks. And he goes, well, I guess uh, the Austin Stone's all about Matt Carter now. And there was just something about that. That in the midst of that place where I was, that so discouraged me, I was like, you know what? I think I'm done. I think I'm done. Hey, Jen, you know the, the, the truck driving commercial we saw last night? What was that number again? Right? I'm out of here. And I came up to Kevin, and I told him the next day, I said, man, that just, there's something about that that piled on other, all the other stuff going on in my life. That just took, I, I, man, I, I think I'm going to go be a fireman, man. I think I'm done. And Kevin came to me, and he said, he said, no. He said, we're not going out like that. He said, we're not going out like that. And he said, he said we ride together, we die together. We're bad boys for life. <laughs> and quoted, <laughs> quoted, Will Smith from the Bad Boys or something. And he said, we're not getting taken out of the fight because of some disrespectful 21-year-old kid. And because of community, I endured. Right? As close as I've ever come to quitting, but I did not quit because, and by the way, left to myself, I would have, but I did not quit because of community. I can't tell you how many times where I've been mired in some sin or lukewarm in my faith or tempted in some way, and the men in my life that, that God has given me by his grace have come along beside me and, and, and said to me and encouraged me, uh, encouraged me, came along beside me and said, no, we are not going out like that. Jesus is working worth it. Stay in the fight. And when a lot of other men have quit, I have not. When a lot of other men have disqualified themselves, I have not. Why? Because I'm better than them? No. Because I sin less than them? No. But because I'm godlier than them? No. It's because I have men in my life, a community of people in my life that when I could not fight anymore, they came and they fought for me. 
They fought for me. And I'm enduring in Jesus. This is our prayer for you this series. That you'd wake up. You'd wake up. And that you would walk in Ephesians 2.10. The works that God has had prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That you display the beauty that God has created you to be. And two, that you would do it in missional community. It's been his plan from the beginning. Let's pray. Father, I ask you today that you would do what I can't, and that's convince people to follow you. So, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak clearly to us today. And that there would be some folks in this room that would surrender, God, that would believe and surrender. We love you. We praise you. We thank you that that, uh, we're not some accident, but that we are your work of art. We're your poetry. That's pretty awesome, God. Thank you. We believe it. We receive that today. And we love you for it. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.